Welcome to Data Science Perspectives. This series focuses on analytics and data science professionals from across industry to learn about how their career unfolded, what skills they look for when hiring, and what trends they think are coming next. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Data Science Perspectives. I'm your host, Bill Franks. Today, we're going to be joined by Francis Boykin of AT&T. I first met Francis a number of years back when I was still at Teradata, and I attended some meetings that Francis also took part in uh, down at their offices here in town. I've seen her since at a variety of Atlanta area events, including several where I got to watch her as a speaker. Francis began her career with AT&T nearly 20 years ago as an associate uh, in the IT project management group. During her time at AT&T, She's managed to finish finish one master's and one doctorate degree and is currently finishing a second master's degree. That's impressive. After her initial role at AT AT&T, she spent seven years or so in the marketing compliance and consumer marketing uh, groups. She then went over for five years to the global supply chain uh, analytics team. And since 2019, she's been within the customer research and analytics team, where she's now a director over their advanced analytics function. She's also an adjunct professor at Georgia Piedmont Technical College. She's got a bachelor's in computer and information systems from North Carolina Wesleyan University, an MBA from Kennesaw State, and soon a master's in analytics from Georgia Tech. On top of that, she's got a doctorate in business from Argus University. And with that, let's welcome Francis to the show. Thanks so much for joining me on the show today, Francis. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My favorite question I always like to start out with is just to understand, you know, what drew you initially into the world of data and analytics where you spent uh, so many years now? So it's, it's actually a funny story. Um, I'm one of those few people who decided to be, decided what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life at 13. So <laughs> if you know anything about the military, I'm a military brat. Don't I'm very happily a military brat, but I grew up in the military with my father being in the um, army. And one of the things that they do within the army is they take something called an ASVAB. And the ASVAB is a, a test that the military takes. So you take that test when you come into the military and it tells you what your competency is. So which area you should go in, which area you should work in. Well, because they treat dependents the same as they do everyone else in the military, we, at 13 years old, we take the ASVAB. And I took the ASVAB at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, when I was in the eighth grade, and it came back and told me that I should be in data. And wow. I was like, not a problem. I went right home, told my mother, you know that bicycle I was going to get for Christmas? Nix that. I'm going to need a typewriter because if I'm going to be in data, I've got to be able to type. And um, it started from there. My mother she did question me. She said, now, are you sure? Because everyone else is getting a bike. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, I'm really sure I need a typewriter. And that's when it started. I got my typewriter, learned how to type, and then went into data. And I've been there ever since. All right. You get credit for the most original and unexpected story of how you got in to data. But in a twisted way, it makes perfect sense. Like, I get it. I just would never have guessed it. <laughs> Yeah. Um, one of the cool things about being a military dependent is the opportunity that, that I had to leverage that skill set. So once I realized that data was for me, I got 
a lot of opportunity to practice that, to put it into practice. I worked on the military base. I was able to work in areas like finance where they allowed me to learn how to use, it's embarrassing to say, punch card machines. So if you are a certain age, you know that back in the day we used punch card machines where we actually had to key, like on a typewriter, these key, pun these key cards, these punch cards, and then we would stack those cards together and take those in. And there's a big machine computer in the background that you never get to touch. And someone in a lab coat puts your, your key punch cards through that machine. And that's how the computers were run back, back in those days. So... Lots of opportunity to practice. So I know when you when you first got into the corporate world, like with AT&T, you started in a more of a traditional IT role. But then it looks like pretty quickly you found your way. And, and you know, it sounds like this thread will tie to it more to the data and analytics side of IT. But how did you how did you make that happen from a, 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 a more general IT role? How did you convince them and uh, to let you go over and do more of the data stuff? I'd love to say that it was just an epiphany and then every all everything fell into place and I was able to, you know, realize my dreams. But it was a little bit harder than that. I had taken a role taken a role in um, IT project management, loved it. Absolutely loved it. Did that for four or five years. And then I went into a associate director role where I managed a team that built out data systems for AT&T. Well, in about 2014, all of a sudden, data, AT&T came up with this, this team called the Big Data Team. And I was like, hold on, what's this big data thing about? And so I started talking to people, um, getting some information on what that was all about. And I decided, well, that's what I'd like to do. I'd love to do data analysis, especially with all of this data that we have at our fingertips. So I went to my leadership and... At that time, that wasn't part of our charge within that organization. So I knew I really didn't have an avenue into data and analytics through that organization. And within the big data team, it was more data engineering and the engineering of the data versus the analytics piece that I was really interested in. So what I did was I worked with, took some, some courses, that AT&T provided, they had decided to become data powered and they had so many opportunities to take courses. So I went through some coursework and then I started networking. I became part of Women of AT&T and through that connection, I actually met someone who, when they decided within global supply chain that they wanted to build out an advanced analytics team, she thought of me and she came back and said, hey, do you remember you were saying that you were interested in this whole advanced analytics thing? Come on over and, and work for me. And that's how I got started. That's awesome. And, you know, for any students who are, who are watching this, that's exactly the kind of story that reinforces why it's so important to get to know people at work, to network, to know who who needs what, and to make sure mm -hmm. they know what you need, because mm -hmm. every now and then something will turn up like that. I mean, that's a that's an awesome story. If you hadn't put in that effort, who knows what would happen, right? Yes, ex exactly. So put out into the universe what you want, and then keep your eyes open. I have a, a saying that I've used for years, and anyone who's a movie buff will know where this saying comes from, but it's chance favors the prepared mind. 
Chance like favors it. the prepared mind. And it is from a Steven Seagal movie. It's called Under Siege, Dark Territory. And actually the bad guy says it. But I keyed in on this and I use that as my mantra every single day. Be prepared. Uh, of course, it's probably some of my military upbringing as well. Yeah. But be prepared and be comfortable reaching out and listening and understanding. And that'll lead you in the right direction most times. That's good advice. So you mentioned supply chain already. And I, I wanted to get to the point of you spent some time in the supply chain analytics group. And, and then more recently, you spent a lot of time on more of the marketing side. Obviously, tons of analytics in each, but very, very different types of problems, very different types of data. So mm-hmm. what, what have been some of the di- differences you found between those two areas that that were uh, intriguing and interesting to you? And how would you compare and contrast uh, the life of a supply chain analytics person versus a marketing analytics person? Well, I will say this, when I I was in marketing for 11 years, and then I went to global supply chain. And what I always say when people ask me about that experience, I always say, I left marketing and I moved to Missouri, the show me state. One of the things that I found found in global supply chain that I didn't find in marketing is that it was global supply chain is more risk averse. So all of these innovations and, hey, let's go try this and see how that works out. Global supply chain is a little bit more closed in that area than marketing. Marketing is very much, let's go throw a few things up against the wall and let's see what, see what sticks and let's see how that works out. It's the whole purpose of marketing, to reach out, kind of get an idea of, of things that interest people and then see if that works. So the analytics that we do within marketing is all about, hey, how can I reach out to more people? How can I draw in more people? How I, can I sell to more people? That's what marketing is about. What global supply chain is about is how can I provision to support all of the things that we want to do at AT AT&T? So how do I bring in more of the widgets that I need to build more towers and make sure that I have them when I need them? So they have a little bit less, well, a lot less wiggle room. And so the analytics that I did within global supply chain was a lot more structured, a lot more um, tense, and I had to do a lot more selling on my advanced analytics. So when I went in with the proof of concept within global supply chain, it had to be on point. It had to to provide some specific benefits that the global supply chain chain team could leverage um, with less risk. Not saying that marketing just flails around and does whatever, but it was just a little bit more ability to innovate and fail fast is what they call it at AT&T, but fail fast within marketing. Whereas I didn't necessarily have that latitude within global supply chain. But I will say this, when I moved over to global supply chain, one thing is that I thought in marketing, we had data. I never seen as much data as I've seen within global supply chain. Uh, so there's tons and tons of data, tons and tons of opportunity within global supply chain. And you've got a very interesting educational background as well. You've got a mixture of business, computer and information systems degrees. You're currently working on your analytics degree. It's a pretty strong mix of, of a variety of things. So what do you pull from each of those educational backgrounds into your day-to-day role uh, now as a, as a director over an advanced analytics function? Well, you're right. I do. I'm, I'm all about education. So I 
love to learn. I'm always learning. And I appreciate the opportunities to learn and educate in so many different areas. But I believe my initial degree in computer information systems was a great foundation on how computers are used to capture data and manufacture data, how the data is pulled together and how it's stored. And then in my later degrees, I was able to leverage that understanding with how the plethora of data can also be used to build good business cases and execute on those business strategies as well. And then with all of that, I do have my certification in project management. And I think that has been so helpful in helping me use that throughout my career to showcase the ability to plan, design, and execute on all of that. So you have the foundation of the data, you have the building of the business cases and how that data turns into information. And then you use that for your business strategies to make more money within business. And then how do you execute on those strategies? How do you do that every single day so that you have good, successful projects? So hopefully that answers your question, but it's just in my opinion, I really strategically looked at where I was going to place myself within the that education to kind of build the place I wanted to end up. And so here we are. Awesome. So what do you think as you look back uh, across your, your, your various roles and the way you use these degrees, what's one or two of your personal traits that you think have most helped you be successful in uh, what you've endeavored to do? So personal traits, um, when we're talking about personal traits, I really think that part of my personality is stubbornness. I'm going to dig in, I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to keep on until I can finish something. That's a good thing and maybe a bad thing. But I think that my ability to be inquisitive, to really dig around that whole thing about, hey, I want to learn, 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 I think also has been so helpful in my career and given me the ability to reach out and work with many different people, which also helps me learn many different things. So just that stubbornness and that willing to learn, learn, learn. Well, speaking of learning, then you've actually completed two of your degrees while you were working, which which I think is somewhat impressive. And you've got a third that makes it even more impressive now that you're in the in the midst of. So how did you find the time and motivation to do all of these uh, educational activities while you were working full time? Wow, not easy. Uh, It's all about planning, though. I do plan my study time. So I plan early, early mornings because I'm a morning person. I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. with a smile on my face. I just am a morning person. I'm probably one of those annoying morning people if you ask my family because I do get up very happy. But I'm a morning person, so I like to plan my study times, my thinking time in the mornings. I, Of course, because I get up so early in the morning, I'm not very, very helpful at nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> but <laughs> so I think the, the biggest thing that I was able to do was plan my schedule and, and plan that early morning learning time. So if you're getting up around 5 a.m., study till probably 8, and then your day day begins, that's pretty much how I've, I've been able to do it. The other thing that I've done is that with every degree that I've worked at, 
while I was working, one of the things that I did is every opportunity that I had to choose a project, a, a school project, or choose something to focus on within school, I made sure that it aligned with what job I was doing. So I could incorporate that learning and the reinforcement of that learning every day, all day long. One of the biggest projects that I worked on within my MBA program was actually implemented once uh, within AT&T. So I finished that big project. It was a, an idea around campaign management. I was able to take that project to my leadership and they liked it. And then we were able to implement portions of that within the work that we were doing. So I try to do that. And that gives you the opportunity to blend what you're doing all day long with what you're learning. And of course, that's great reinforcement. I, I got to say, I'm, I'm amongst those who I would not be up at five in the morning and happy <laughs> and, and, and studying. Now, what I could do, I'd be happy to sit and study like crazy from, say, you know, nine to 12 in the, at night or 10 to one and then sleep in until eight. But uh... <laughs> yes, yes, I, I there are lots of folks that way. I, I'm probably in the minority on the whole get up at 5 a.m. And, and study. <laughs> yeah, well, I know uh, I think the very first time I met you was uh, we, we were talking about it at a meeting when I was with Teradata and, uh, that when I came to AT&T a number of years ago. But I think I've seen you more often since then. Um, you know, at events around Atlanta, either both of us attending or also, you know, I know I've now seen you speak at a couple of events. And it's interesting in that um, there are people who enjoy doing the public speaking thing and a lot of people who just don't. I've always enjoyed it. That's why I do a lot of it. Uh, but it's obvious from the number of times I've seen you on agendas that you do enjoy uh, doing that and, and that you've been putting an effort into it. So what motivated you to get into the public speaking aspect and, and, and the, uh, analytical conferences? And then how do you determine what your next presentation is going to be? So the inter that's an interesting story. I actually, actually accidentally ended up uh, presenting at conferences. So I happened to be at the very first Data Science Connect conference here in Atlanta, led by Amelia Mink. And she and I were talking off to the side and she said, hey, I'd love for you to be on a panel. I had someone who, who couldn't show up for a panel. I'd love for you to be on the panel. And I wasn't able to do it that day because I had to leave and, and get back to work. But she called me later on and she said, could you do a panel for me? Could you do a workshop for me? And that's how I started doing panels and workshops through Amelia. I had never done them before. And funny story is that I used to have extreme stage fright. It was horrible. Um, throughout my college education, I competed in computer science comp uh, competitions. But the part that I struggled with was the presentation at the end of the conference. So if I had to take the tests or put together the project or whatever, I was great. But when we would get up in front of everyone, I would freeze. So when I started working full time, I got involved in Toastmasters. And Toastmasters helped me not necessarily get past the stage fright because I still have a little antsiness when I'm going to, to present. But what it did help me do is, is focus it and then move past it, which I was struggling with before. So I do presentations, but I won't say that it's, it's my favorite thing to do. I, I do enjoy imparting information. I help, love helping people learn about data. That's my passion. 
And if I have to do presentations to get that point across, I'm in. Wow. You know, that's really intriguing to me because I'm going to be honest with you. Every time I've had a conversation with you, you, you seem like the exact opposite. I would have thought you'd be a natural that you, you would be really loose and casual giving presentations because you don't come across as kind of like shy or reserved at, at all. So that's, uh, that's fascinating. Congrats on getting past it, by the way. And, and I'll only have to apologize ahead that, uh, if, if you, as we, as we were discussing, end up speaking at our Kennesaw state event in the spring, because it's a state campus, I will not be able to have any drinks on hand to help you calm your nerves before your talk. So you'll have to take care of that in the parking lot before you come in. Okay. No problem. <laughs> no problem. So, so these days, you know, I know in my case over, over, many years, what I really thought I enjoyed day to day has evolved and it's changed. And, and part of it's with the evolution of the technology and the analytics part was as you know, you, 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 you move up the uh, word chart or into different roles today. What gets you excited? You say you're always cheery at five in the morning, but on a day that you'll be extra cheery at five in the morning, when you wake up, what might be on your agenda that day? What is it that, that you're really excited about uh, in 2023? So less meetings, and more opportunity to work directly on projects. So when you move into a leadership position, one of the things that you have to do is kind of step away a little bit away from the day-to-day -day projects and work more on the strategy, the overall vision. And that can sometimes um, get you away from all of the cool new stuff that's coming out, like chat GPT, you know. Yeah. When am I going to be able to play with this, right? So one of the things that I do like is as much as I enjoy building out that vision, building out the strategy, helping my team get focused and get great things accomplished for our organization. I love those days when I have an opportunity to do the analytics myself, to play around with the new technologies, you know, build, build out some, some fancy stuff in driverless AI just have a good time with those sorts of, of tools because we have so many great new tools and new opportunities to build out AI machine learning and all of the cool uses of data. So just getting, being able to get on, on board and, and play around with the tools and the data. That's, that's kind of fun for me. Cool. Well, students are thinking about how they might get into their career um, you just said there's so many tools, so many algorithms, so many focuses you can have today. What advice would you give to students that, that, that they ought to be thinking about? Let's say they're either preparing for their very first job interviews, graduating, or maybe they're a very recent grad who's um, you know, still trying to find their niche. So the main thing is look for opportunities that give you the opportunity to work on a variety of projects from across the organization. So avoid the niches, avoid the, the areas where you're going to be so focused on one thing, because what we're seeing, if you've heard anything in the news recently, what we're seeing is that there is to stay relevant. It is important to be versatile, to be able to not just work on one kind of project or one type of tool, but to be able to, to take and shift as necessary across projects, across tools, across teams. So my, my advice is to be versatile. My father used to call it being qualified. And, and when I was young, I never understood what that meant. It took me being, you know, 
an adult with my own children to figure out what he meant. And, and that's just know what's coming. Keep your eye on what's coming on the horizon. And as you're looking out, as you're working, look out as well for those additional opportunities. If I hadn't been doing that, I would not that I wouldn't like still doing the IT work that I, I was doing when I first started my career, but that's what I would still be doing if I hadn't kept a weather eye on what the other opportunities were. So when you go and you look for these opportunities, make sure that there's there's extra opportunities to learn more and do more than just what you were being hired to do. That's really good advice. And the interesting part about that is, I mean, and it's the truth. I look back at the degree I got many years ago, and a lot of what I learned would, would still be relevant. But if all I knew was what I learned in that degree, I would have gotten not very far, not very fast because so many things changed. And so I think it's, uh, it is that, that imperative. Don't, don't assume you have your degree and you're done. In fact, probably you, you've probably hardly even begun whether you realize it or not. I know mm-hmm. that that's what I talk to students here about a lot is, um, you know, there's so much you're not learning in school that you're going to need to know in the business world, but you know, some of it, there's no way around just jumping in and, and being thrown in the fire and figure it out. Yes, absolutely. And, and we're all data people. And as data people, we love to talk about data. So get into those organizations, uh, get into those teams, those teams and meetups and all of the chat people. Even within my organization, we have a biweekly meeting where we just meet to talk cool stuff that has nothing to do with what we do every single day. Just what's going on? What, you know, what have you seen out on TikTok? Um, what have you seen out there that's cool that we could be working on? And uh, those are the fun things. So have fun, work hard, but have fun too. Well, what I want to finish out with, uh, because I, I think I've kept uh, uh, enough of your time uh, for this already, is just we've talked a lot about your past. We've talked a little bit about the present. As you look forward the next three to five years, what do you think are some of the, the biggest trends and changes we're going to see in the world of of, uh, data and analytics? I think we're going to see more predicting um, what will happen. So doing more of that predictive analytics using like auto ML, um, using tools that cut down the time that it takes to prepare data and build models like H2O driverless AI. So leveraging those tools to get to the answers quicker is what I think is going to be the big thing. And not just getting to the answer quicker, but taking less work time to get there. So so that sounds like the same thing, but it's kind of not. So if you have a team of eight people and three people have to work on a project, you could have two of those people going off and doing something else if they weren't massaging and cleaning and, and curating data. Um, so how do we get those that curated data set quicker so that it's ready for you know use in, in a model and so that we can then go on and work on something else? So I think it's, it's going to be about building out more predictive ability, but also leveraging tools to get there faster. I think that's getting there faster is going to be be a big thing. So obviously I can put you squarely on the side of the debate where that people have over whether some of these automated tools are good or bad. 
you're clearly on the side of they're they're a, a good if not necessary thing. I do, I do. I I think that they are good. I am not a. I know that I have I have one good friend, and he's always telling me things like, you know, you know, AI is gonna <coughs> excuse me replace us all. I don't think so. I don't I don't think that's that's where it's going. I think AI is going to allow us to build more things for us to work on and more just it's going to compound and build and we're going to have even more need for people like yourself, myself, the folks that are listening to work on these cool projects. So I, I think that that the tools are going to help us. I agree. And, and I appreciate your thoughts today. I, I think these are some great insights for, for everyone. And I, I thank you so much for taking a half hour of your time to talk to me today. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, I will say this is my first podcast. So um, exciting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.